Good morning. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise that you are the giver of life, that you have granted us breath this morning, this day. We are alive because you, Lord God, hold our life in your hand. You, Lord God, can easily cut the cord of life and we perish, but this day we sit to listen to your truths while we are alive. We give you thanks and praise because you are a good, good God. You are kind. You are merciful. You are forgiving. You have not forsaken us nor left us. Even this day you knock at the door of our heart and you call us to come to know you, come to know you more intimately, more real, more than we've ever known you before, Lord God. I pray that you would bless your word this morning to every ear that is bowed before you, Lord. Cast the devil out in Jesus' name. And I pray, Father, that you keep our hearts steadfast on your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. What are we up to in the Lord's Prayer? We've been doing a study on um, the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, um, that most people title it, and we've been looking at line by line what Jesus actually meant when um, he taught his disciples to pray, the Our Father. And so the line that we're going to focus on uh, this morning is, forgive us our sins as we forgive others who have sinned against us. Now listen, while we've been studying this, you've probably discovered that there's a lot of hurdles that you need to get across mentally and and in your attitude when you're talking to God. For example, you've probably discovered that you can't approach God as a father unless you're his child. So this is not for everybody to pray. This prayer is for the children of God. Because that's why you call him father. If, you, if he's not your father, then that's one thing you need to wrestle, that first line. You've got to work out, what's my relationship with God? What's my relationship with God? That he causes you to stir in your mind and your heart to look at where are you before the father. And so when you go through that and say, I'm a child, then it says, who is in heaven? He causes you to rise up from all the mundane and all the ordinary of this earth and lift your eyes to heaven and acknowledge that God is outside of your rut, your pit. And because he's outside of your pit, he's able to put his hand down to pull you out. That's what we acknowledge. He's the Father who is in heaven. And his name is holy. And we understand that what's the point of approaching God if I don't utilize or make use of that holy name that was given to us through Jesus Christ when we pray. So we we, we put that in place when we're talking to God. We say that your name is holy. This is the name that's going to seal my prayer. This is the name that's going to sum up everything I'm asking you in the name of that holy name, Jesus And I'm lifting that up before you, Lord. I know that when I'm talking to you now intimately and I'm sharing with you, that I'm going to make use of that name, that holy name, that name that is holy. You understand? Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But that tells me that basically my concerns are not of this earth. My concerns are the things of God. And I desire for those things to come down on earth and dominate those things that are earthly, those things that are insignificant, the shadows that are passing, fleeting things in this world. And that's the prayer of the saint, the prayer of those who desire God and to see his will. Some of us probably are already disqualified at this stage from uttering a single word. Some of us already decided that I don't want to pursue God. I don't care much about the things of God. I desire to make my name and my kingdom here on earth. And that's why God, Jesus Christ, gave us that prayer to the disciples because it's a very clear, direct line and a definition of the Christian faith. It summarizes our existence as Christians. That's what it does. Now, we're not called to pray literally word by word that prayer like some repetition as though it's just a poem we're quoting. Those words are the access of life. Like those words are basically in every prayer. So when we pray, we know He's holy, we know He's our Father. I don't need to kind of say word for word or memorize it. And now here is the defining factor. 
This is the soul of the prayer right here, this one, where we say, Father, forgive me. Because we can't take one step further or closer till we deal with something. And what's that? My sin. Because God can't look at sin. Did you know? You know God is holy? God is so holy that the Bible says that even the angels before his eyes are unclean. The angels who are pure and spirit, before the eyes of God, those white beings are like pale white before the eyes of God. You understand? This is the righteousness of God. Now, this is the character of God. This is who God is. It's not like someone created God and said, I'm going to make God like this. No one made God. God is and was and always will be. And part of his character, part of his nature, and all that he is, is he is holy. 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 And, just so that you know and don't forget, he's love. He's nothing but love. There isn't any ounce of hate in him other than pure love. When God hates sin... It's not that he chooses to hate it. His nature just can't love it. The God doesn't wake up in the morning and choose, <laughs> I hate sin. His nature just can't love it. This is the nature of God. It's like before you knew God, your nature loved it. Is that right? You loved sin. You loved your rights. You loved yourself. You loved... You, you, you. But then when you became a Christian, it flipped over. All of a sudden, you hate the things you do. Is that right? You hate why you say certain things you don't really want to say. You just hate it. And did you know the biggest problem with the world today, the biggest, biggest problem with the world today, apart from sin, and what, 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 why, why we are in such a mess and why we try to escape this mess is this thing called the conscience. You know your conscience is the tormentor. You know, people don't like to deal with their conscience. They don't like it. It's, 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 it's hurtful. <laughs> when I think of the conscience, I always think of Jesus sleeping in a rough sea at the bottom of a boat, head on a pillow, at peace while the world is swirling around with shame, disgust, hurtful, hates, and, and, and whatever, Jesus demonstrates what the peace of God does to a conscience when he forgives. Last night I was talking to someone about God and I was sharing the faith. It became quite theological, like it became quite pointless and at the end of that conversation I woke up to myself and I said to myself why did you follow the track of trying to convince someone Jesus is God why don't you just speak to the person about where the heart is why don't you speak to the person about where their conscience is because they can't deny that they can deny that there wasn't Jesus and there was no God but they can't deny themselves, can they? They can't, they can't lie to you when in their heart they're grieving out of shame or guilt, of sin that devastates one's life and paralyzes you and cripples you. They can't deny that. So if I said to that person, you know what? You think you're happy. You think you're okay. But what about that thing that dominates your life, that thing that's called shame? Tell me about that. And all of a sudden they shrink in their chair. It's all of a sudden like someone's put a light bulb in their, in their, in their heart and just shone the, lit up the room. <laughs> and there is the testimony of what God is calling man. Come, come. I don't need to tell you what you must do. All I've got to tell you is where you are at and you don't need to be there. So if you don't want to stay there, you come. I don't need to kind of drag you and draw you to Jesus. All I've got to tell you is where you are and what can be done because of Jesus. And if you're hungry, you come. And if you're not hungry, you sit. 
Jesus said, I didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister. I came to actually serve. I didn't come to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. I actually came to do what must be done for you so that you can do what you need to do. He said, those who are sick need a doctor, but those who are well don't need one. And I came for the sick. That's the good news. And what makes you sick? What makes you sick is the fact that you are separated from God because of your sin. That's what makes you sick. What makes you, why, why is the world on tablets and, and, and all kinds of self-help access to all kinds of, why? Because the core of their dealings has to do with some shame or some sin, whether it's directly or indirectly targeting them. And they need someone to free their soul or heal their mind. That's spiritual right here. And God knows that. That's how God made man. Think of this. This is what's interesting. Consider this, right? A lot of people don't like the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. They think it's quite petty. They think it's quite uh, childish. And some of them don't even think it's true because it's so undetailed. Are you kidding me? Like God kicked out people from a garden because they ate a fruit? And some people, don't, they, don't, they think this is absurd. How can that even be true? How can that be like a, a fruit? A fruit kicked people out of a garden, a paradise? Have you thought of that? It wasn't murder. It wasn't blood being shed. It wasn't cheating. It wasn't some massacre. It wasn't some pedophilia. It wasn't some adultery. Someone ate a fruit and they got kicked out of paradise. Have you contemplated that? And so some people don't, don't even think, they think it's just a story, just something to, to learn from. They don't see the reality of it. Well, what's the reality of it? God is holy. God does not care what you've done. He doesn't, care, he doesn't measure with a tape like the depth of your sin. Before a holy God, that speck compared to a, a, a bomb blast of black is equal. doesn't care whether you've eaten a fruit when you're commanded don't and whether you've slaughtered a thousand people in your reign over a kingdom. God doesn't care because sin is sin and in the kingdom of God, there is no black. This is the message which we preach to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So God, when he calls me to come, he wants to be acknowledged as the forgiver of sins. It's the first and foremost, the forgiver of sins. It's the key to unlock uh, the, the character of God, forgiveness. You know, there's um, 60, I think, species of birds that have wings but can't fly. The ostrich, the emu. 60 birds have wings, little, little flaps, but they can't fly. You know why they can't fly? They can't fly because their breastbone has this, the pecs, pectoral muscles, pectoral muscles that are so small they can't lift the flap. They got wing, but they can't fly. And you know this pectoral muscle for the Christian is mercy. Without the forgiveness of God, you can't fly. You know, I like to think the other wing is love. Without the love of God, you would have no mercy. So love and mercy causes you to fly. Yet 60 birds have these wings like most Christians and they never come to the full pardon of Jesus Christ and the words, I forgive you. They never come to believe it. They never actually acknowledge this is what God does best. God knows how to clean sin. God knows what it takes to wash away your sin. <laughs> and you know what? 
It was high stakes, mate. To wash away your sin took real deep cleansing. It wasn't like a wipe clean. It was the blood of his own son. When he knew that you needed to come into a relationship back with him, when he looked among the angels, when he looked among the prophets, when he looked among the teachers and looked among men, who's going to wipe away the sins of the world and it cost him his son, he willingly gave him because of love. And so when we pray, Father, forgive me of my sins. He's ever ready. In fact, before you pray anything, this is the first prayer. Forgive me of my sins. Let me share with you a beautiful story. You all know it pretty well, and you've all read it before, I'm pretty sure. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And it opens up like this. And he said, a certain man had two sons. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Look at the forgiveness of God. Spoken through Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And a certain man had two sons, two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me, give me, the cry of of humanity. Give me what I want, me. One of his sons cried out, give me the portion of goods that belongs to me. It's my right. <laughs> People don't realize. You have no right. Absolutely nothing. You were created by God. You were brought into this world from God. You got no right. It's my life. Let me live it the way I want to live it. It's my life. No, it's not. God gave it to you. Just like the Father. Give me what belongs to me. Now, if the father could have easily said to him, hang on, how does this belong to you? (laughs) How does this belong to you? How does my house, my money, your inheritance belong to you? You see? But because it's about me, I don't see clearly. It's me, give it to me. And he divided unto them his living. So he gave him. And not many days after, in verse 13, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, far country, far away from his father, a distant land, gone, barely he can can see the thoughts he has of his dad. And he took everything that he thought he needed. And there he wasted his substance with righteous living, partying, partying having a good time. And when all was said and done, in verse 14, he had spent all that he had. And there was devastation at that point now. And this is the thing that you guys need to understand, is that you can have good days and fine days away from God, and people can say, well, I'm happy. I've got everything I need. But your emotions and your dependency and your trust are all dependent on the circumstances around you. This is how weak we are as people. Oh, no, 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 I'm having a good time in life. Of course you're having a good time in life because there's no devastation. But what do you do when devastation comes? What do you do when famine comes? Where do you go? What do you, where, do you, where do you run? Let's see how tough you are now. You know how many people, when they're on their deathbed, their whole attitude and mindset changes. Why on their deathbed? Because they're faced with a circumstance they can't control. Why is that too late then? It's too late then. And so here, he was happy. He spent everything he had. He parted all day, parted all night, and then famine came. Famine means there's no food. 
Famine means there's a hunger that he can't fill. Just like the hunger in your heart, the hunger in your life that you can't feel and you think you can through money, material gain, whatever you think you need. There's a famine in the land and he began to be in want. And it's amazing how many people are in want for a long, long time, like a long time. And you can tell them you don't need to be in want. Here, have the food. But they'll rather starve than have it. Why? Because that's not the kind of food I want. Last night I was telling the person, mate, listen, I don't want to be creating my own God. I just want to know the true God. And when I find the true God, if I don't like him, I'm not going to go taking snapshots of him and collecting some parts of him and say, this is the parts I like because I don't like this part. That's foolishness because that doesn't change God. God is God. So whatever God says, we do. However God is, we follow, whether we like it or not, because that's the true God. But what we do is we, we, we build our own religion, our own ideas, our own philosophies. You know, I don't like this, I like this kind of God, like what, you know, a bit of Buddhism, a bit of Hinduism, and I don't like that. And I said to the guy quite plainly, very simply, I said, how do you know? Who taught you that? Who told you that? And the person was like looking at me going, I just know. I just know. Really? You just know. You know that when you die, that's all going to be good. How do you know? I just, I just know, 100%. 100% it's all going to be good. And I said to him, you're lying. Because I know 100% that you have doubt. And he bowed his head down and he looked up and he goes, Okay, you're right. Okay, I'm not 100%. So much instability. How do I know? I know because I didn't build my own God. I know because I wasn't going there chasing the things I like and didn't like and then made up my own religion. I know because the Word of God told me. So everything I believe in and everything I establish my faith is actually in the Word of God. If God says, here, this is the food you eat, I say, okay, I take it. But this person here, he began to be in want. He began to be in want. He was hungry and there was nothing there to feed him. And so listen to what he does in verse 15. He went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. So most of us in desperation, the first thing we do is what? We connect with people. We build relationships. Because we think relationships are going to help us. They're gonna, it's going to carry us through uh, the famine, the hard, the hard times. And we rely on the things that are of the earth when my heavenly Father is in heaven. And so that's what he did. He connected with the citizen of a country. And the best that this citizen can do was send him off to feed his pigs. Awesome. That's, you know, what do you do for a living? I, I feed pigs. Well, you know what the reality is, that if you do any other thing than serve the Almighty God... What are you doing for a living? The angels look down and they go, look at him, look at him, look at him feeding pigs. <laughs> look at him here before the glory of God and look at them roaming around making their money, serving this and doing that and it's just for nothing. And that's what this man demonstrates, the one who walks away from the father. He ends up having the purpose of existence, feeding pigs, feeding the swine. And so much so, he got so connected so connected in his job that when he was feeding these pigs, just his mere circumstance and situation, day in, day out, putting the, the pig food, putting the pig food, the food started looking attractive to him. That he got so hungry that that food became his desire. It's absurd. But how beautiful are the words of Jesus to depict Anyone who chases anything other than the Father's will. Other than the Father's way. And so that's what happens to us, brothers and sisters. Be careful. The world, though you hate it, hang around with it long enough and its food becomes very enticing, even though it's poison. You know that its food is fattening and it's going to harden the arteries of your heart and one day you're going to have a heart attack 
but you still find yourself nibbling on that hot chip. We know how ugly the world is, but yet we find ourselves enticed by it because we're in that place, a far country, a far country. And he would have desire to fill his belly with husks in verse 16. Husks. Husks, it's not even worth anything. There's no, the wheat's already gone. It's been fed to the chickens. And the leftover of what's nourishing and vital was given to the pigs. And he desired to even have that. There's nothing in it. It's dead. It's futile. This world is perishing. And no man gave unto him. There was nothing any man can do to meet his needs. No man. Not your mum and dad. Not your doctor. No man. No, no teacher, no philosopher. No man can meet your needs. And this is what happens. And when he came to himself in verse 17... This is the part where we go through the prayer. We go, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Who art in heaven. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Forgive us our sins. Right here. This is, this is where it happens. He says, when he came to himself, he said, look at my father, how many servants my father has and how much bread that he freely gives. And here I am perishing in my hunger. Ironic, right? Ironic. The father who has the wealth of the world, who has all the goodness, his own son perishing with hunger. The irony. You who were created in the image of God, you who have a will, desires and emotions, perish without the creator in a miserable world. The irony. It's absurd. But this guy came to his senses. He came to himself. He woke up. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say this to my father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, before your face, I sinned against heaven. And I love this because this basically shows me this. And this is the second part of Jesus' prayer. He says that I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned it before you. And this is the, the second part of Jesus' prayer when he says, Our Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Because while we're in this world, you're going to have people doing things to you that you don't like done. And it's, that's going to be before the Father and before people. And you can't pray the prayer, Father, forgive me. Listen, you can't pray the prayer, Father, forgive me, without first making sure that in your heart and in your mind and everything that's within you, that you are at peace with everyone else around you. That's the beauty of God. So much so that there's a clause to the forgiveness of God, which says simply that I will not forgive you if you don't forgive others. Now, that doesn't necessarily make God someone who says, I'll put my hand behind my back. I'm not going to forgive you. It's not like that. That's just the nature of God. It's hand in hand. Forgiveness and love coexist. If you want to be forgiven or understand what forgiveness is, you forgive others. Now, let me explain this simply to you so you understand how that works. Because some people say, well, that means, that means like God doesn't, there is something God doesn't forgive. Well, it's true. It's clear. It's in the Scriptures. But let me explain what the essence of that clause is. A woman came in one day when Jesus was sitting down with, at a man's house, Simon. And she had a battered life, a bruised life, a, a hopeless existence. She was seen like the worst sinner at that time. And she comes in and she falls on her face and she falls at his feet and she starts to cry, weeping, weeping, crying from the depth of her heart. 
and all the tears are running over his legs. And she sees that and she goes, oh, you know, well, I'm, I'm making a mess. So she starts getting her hair and she rubs his feet with, with her hair to dry those tears up. And all the re- religious, righteous people, all the Christians look at that and said, how disgusting. Like, how disgusting. And, and, and Jesus says it simply and straight. He goes, you want to know what forgiveness is? I'll tell you what forgiveness is. When you have so much sin that you've been just chained up in it, that it's taken a hold of your life and it's there at the forefront of your mind and it's choking you because of your sin. And someone comes and goes, gone. You're free. And like absolutely free, like really free. Not dwindling, you're free. You can't help Love the one who freed you. You can't help it. But listen what happens. Listen what happens. You can't help love those ones who hurt you. You can't help forgiving them. Do you understand? You can't help it. It's not a decision you make. You do what Jesus did when he hung up on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the forgiveness of God. Do you understand? So that's why Jesus says, I, I can't forgive you because you don't forgive others because you haven't understood forgiveness. You don't even know what you're asking when you say, forgive me. Because what you're saying when you say, forgive me, you're saying that you understand what, 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 what I've done. And I understand what Jesus did. Jesus took me out of the pit while I was licking the bum of a pig. You understand? And so if I can be delivered and forgiven for for doing that, what can you possibly do to me that I won't forgive? Sometimes I think I get upset with my children because I tell them to do something and they don't do it and I get frustrated and I get upset. And God always says to me, well, how many times did you upset me? How many times did I say, don't do this and you did it? So why do you keep being frustrated with them? So I can't hold something against my children. Then when I expect God now, I messed up again, I need you to forgive me. This is the forgiveness of God. It's extraordinary. It's, it's healing all over. When you're upset with your husband, when you're upset with your wife, click over to, to, to the Father in heaven. And then look at your life and your relationship with him. And how many times have you disappointed God? How many times have you said no when you did? And how many times have you deliberately continued to be defiant before his face and heaven? And what does the father do? Well, you know what's beautiful about this Lord's prayer? Very beautiful. Most of us, when we sin, we turn away from God. It's like it's the end of the world. It's like, that's it, I'm done. I can't get close to God anymore because it's, it's finished. What the actual prayer, he's saying, this is how you pray. He's actually welcome, welcoming you to come and ask for forgiveness. He's not saying, okay, well, that's enough now. The fact that he's instilled it into that prayer is telling you that the forgiveness of God is forever till the day you die. Then when you get to heaven, you don't need forgiveness anymore. But as long as you live, there's the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and there's the love of God. There's two things that are noted when someone is forgiven. Because Jesus said about this lady, he that is forgiven much, loves much. Now listen, this is what I want you to understand as as Christians. He that is forgiven much, loves much. There are those of us in this room who are the worst criminals in the world. And we've been forgiven and pardoned by the amazing love and grace of God. And there are others in this room that had a nice existence, kept safe from an environment of crime, or or, it was all good, but we lie. Or we, we, or we, or we, we deceive. 
or we, we manipulate, or, or we don't give 100% truth. But ne- that never strikes a chord in us. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't pull a string of our conscience. But, if you don't see that sin like the biggest crime in the world, like you've just eaten the fruit in the garden and you basically just got kicked out from paradise, you will never love him the way you ought to love him. You understand? See, because what happens to the one that is forgiven much, loves much, two things happen. They see the power of his forgiveness that if he can love a wretched man like me, then he's worth trusting, he's worth loving, he's worth obeying, he is all in all, he is everything, I give up everything to follow him. But if you see your sin like petty, insignificant, little, you're never gonna love him the way you ought to love him. And I'll tell you the truth, every Christian is to love God as though they were the very ones in that garden and no matter how pity or small that sin was, I just bit an apple, man. It is like I am slain. Do you understand? Do you understand? It is is like I've been kicked out of paradise. I want to go back to my father. I'm I'm sick and tired of eating the, the, the food that pigs eat. And he says, I will arise in verse 18 and go to my father. And I will say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And am no more, I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired servants. Just make me a servant, I'll just work for you. Don't even call me a son. There was a time in my life when my sin was so dark that I couldn't call God father. I couldn't call God father. Because my father is not a father of sin. So because I was in my sin, I just called him God. God, God help me. But it's a different, God didn't want me to call him God. He wanted to call me father, come, he wants me father, father, I've sinned against you. Look, I, I'm not worthy to come even before you, but if you just say the word, if you just say come, I'll come. Just call me and I'll, 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 I'll run at you. Because this man, was, he found himself in the deepest, darkest place. And I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of the hired servants. And in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He didn't even give him a chance to get through the door. He saw him at a distance and he ran to him. He fell on him. His emotions couldn't hold his legs up. And he landed on his neck and he kissed his neck. This is the forgiveness of God. I don't know. How, how, I mean, how else do you describe it in, in earthly terms? I mean, how beautiful are the words of Jesus Christ? As soon as he saw a glimpse that looked like his son, a shadow, a silhouette in the distance, he ran as though he was waiting for days and days and days on the porch, just waiting, waiting, waiting. And he saw any glimpse that looked like his son, he ran. So why do you stay in your sin as though I'm not worthy to come before the Lord because, you know, I've done it. It's too late. It's finished. It's over. When you can rise, get up. He is very ready to forgive you. He is more than ready to forgive you. As soon as you say, he's heard your forgiveness. As soon as you just lift your hand to heaven, he's, he's already lifting your elbow up. This is the forgiveness of God. I've discovered, and as a Christian, the two things. People, when they hear about the forgiveness of God, either they want it, or don't. Because how can you reject something like that? How can you say no to that? You obviously don't want it. You're obviously enjoying living in a time where the famine hasn't hit yet. 
And he ran and he fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in, in your sight. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. I think I, the last time I preached this, I cried again. I think, I think the last time I preached this passage, I was crying again. Go, give, go get the gold ring. Put it on his finger. I don't get it. I don't get it. Where, 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 I don't see anything here where he says to his son, give me back the money. Where is it? Hey, hey, tell me, how was it? What happened? Did you, yeah, I told you not to party. You know, did you, where, did you leave me? Did you come back with, oh, now see what's happened to your inheritance? You don't hear anything about his mistake or his error or his issue or his, his stupidity. You hear nothing of it. He doesn't even give the son a chance. He doesn't even respond to him like, with a, okay, is it, can I be a servant? Can I? He doesn't even give him anything other than get him with a robe, get him the gold ring, get the, the best fatted calf. Let's kill it. Let us eat and let us be happy because my son who was dead is alive. He's alive. And isn't that the greatest joy? Like if my son ran out of home and he spat in my face and he hated everything about me and he went out and I hear on the news that there was a collapse in the city where a building had just destroyed the very place where my son was going to be. And then he comes knocking at the door and my son wasn't destroyed. That he was actually saved. He was delivered. Am I going to look at my son and go, oh, we'll see, yeah, see, lucky. The joy that my son did not die as though he had been dead. But now he's alive knocking at my door. It's the forgiveness of God. That you once were blind, but now you see. You knocked at the door of heaven and you said, Lord God, forgive me. Forgive me. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be happy. I could keep going on, but I'm not, right? Listen, I'll finish off with this story. Most of you have probably seen the movie. But there's a man in 2006, I think 2006, named Charles Carl Roberts. And this man was very disgruntled with God. He hated God because he had a daughter that was killed. And so he grew a lot of resentment, a lot of hate. And on October the 2nd, 2006, this guy who was a truck driver who delivered milk walked into an Amish uh, colony, into a little school with one room for the class. And he walked into that room and he lined up 10 girls, tied their hands behind their backs and their legs, and he shot them. Because he's so bitter and angry that God had taken his daughter and he was out to seek revenge. Five died and five were critically, uh, they were sent off to, to, to hospital and survived. And then he grabs the gun and he kills himself. And that was like a huge thing in the media, 2006. The next day, it was, it was like, like everywhere, you know, big news, breaking news, how can he do such a thing? What has he done? Why is he doing, you know? The next day, members of the Amish community, the elders, and I'm pretty sure the father of one of the daughters that had been shot, went to the home of his wife and his children and they sat there in the living room comforting the mother, the wife of the man that just murdered them. Because they knew the pain and anguish that she would be experiencing based on this trauma. And there way they were comforting this lady. Did you know at the funeral there were more Amish people than their own? 
at the death of the one who killed their children. Isn't that extraordinary? I mean, is there a clearer picture of Father, forgive me as I forgive others who have sinned against me? This is the power of the true spirit of Christ in those who believe in him as their supreme. Now I want you now to measure your unforgiveness in your heart towards a brother or a sister compared to that. And if you find yourself in a place where you find it really, really hard to, sh- to, to forgive, ask yourself, did God forgive you? Did he really forgive you? And do you know the depth of your sin when he forgave it? Do you know the depth of that sin? Because if you do, you'll do what the Amish did. I know, it's hard. But this is the power of a living God in a believer's life. Let's bow our head in prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others who have sinned against us. Some people say, this is really, really hard, man. Like, really, you've got to forgive like it's so hard. And they forget all the miracles in the Old Testament where he parted the Red Sea, where the walls came crumbling down, like these impossibilities that took place, the things that like by human effort is, is just impossible. And if God is able to do that, he's able to do that in me. Break down the walls of unforgiveness, bitterness. Break down the walls You want to fly? You need to have mercy on one wing and love on the other. And to fly, you need both flapping at the same time. They're, they're simultaneous. They're, 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 they're coexistent. Love and mercy. You can't have one without the other. That's when you really saw. Father in heaven, I give you thanks and praise for the truths in your word. We thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus who taught us of this love, this amazing forgiveness. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless the hearers by reminding them and convicting them and bringing them to the knowledge of your word daily, consistently in their life. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to them more clearly by your Holy Spirit than what I ever could, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would Unite our hearts as one, that we all have the same spirit of mercy and love, that we will forgive, that we will love, and that we'll continue to reflect and manifest your kingdom on earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just keep your heads bowed for a moment and just reflect on this. Everything looks different when you fall at his feet, and only Jesus can heal your broken heart. Only he can set you free. And if you truly learn to trust him, your life be the same for when you are at your weakest you just have to call upon his name for you know he has the power to do everything you can't don't you want to put your life in his hands Won't you give your life to him? 
truly learn to trust him your life will never be the same for when you were at your weakest you just have to call upon his name for you know he has the power to do everything you can't don't you want to put your life in his hands won't you give your life to him and live your life for him for only Jesus Jesus. 